it's time for us to spend time in the Word of God. It's a lamp to our feet. The Word of God is a light to our pathway. And I'm going to ask if you will open your Bibles to Psalm 18 is where we're going today. Psalm 18, verse 35. Let's ask God's blessing on our time in his Word today. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you're our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Psalm 18, verse 35. Listen to what God's word says. You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. Amen. I want to preach about you're in the right hand. You're in the right hand. Of course, this is a part of our series that God has the whole world in his hand. And now David, the writer of Psalm 18, says that you're in the right hand of God. It's the right hand of God. This is a, a psalm of David. It is a reflective psalm of appreciation that, that David is reflecting upon his life uh, with a sense of celebration and appreciation for how God has moved, he says, uh, with his hand. How God has intervened, how God has interceded, how God has gotten involved, how God has maneuvered and made ways in his life. This is him looking back on it. This is David recalling it. He didn't always think that when he was going through it. Sometimes when you're going through pain and problems and persecutions, it's hard uh, to recognize the move of God in that situation. But now this is David looking back. This is not, this is not David as some kid in the pasture of his father. Uh, this is David as the king in the palace. As a matter of fact, not only is he the king of Israel, but he's united those kingdoms. Remember that there was a civil unrest between uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, but David, uh, with the anointing of God on his life, was able to unite Israel and Judah. And now Israel and Judah look to David as their king. And as he reflects back on all the things that he had gone through, he's saying, I never would have gotten to this point had it not been... He says, for the right hand of God. And I just want you to know you're in the right hand. Sometimes it's hard to see it when you're going through it. Uh, remember David's first trip to the palace was not as the king of Israel. He went to the palace as a staff musician. And that's when so many of the issues he had to face began. When he got that job, that government job uh, at, at, the, at the palace as a staff musician because he was working for King Saul, and King Saul was a head of state with head problems. Matter of fact, that's why they chose David, because they had a head of state with some head problems. It was obvious he had head problems. He had some psychological, uh, mental, emotional instability going on, and everybody could see it. And they brought David there, uh, hoping that his music was so soothing that it would address some of the head problems of the head of state. Uh, even to the point that this constant attack of David, this, the head of state would constantly go after him. And, and you've got to understand that David ended up being a war hero. 
for that nation. He ended up being a veteran. And even as a veteran, even as a war hero, this head of state, his head problems, caused him to attack even veterans in his own nation, uh, to attack even war heroes, because he's a head of state with some head problems. And he would throw spears at David, and he would try to take David out. Finally, David just had to take off running. He said, I, I can't continue to submit to this. And then that head of state with head problems sent the military to go after David to try to take David out. He's using the military to go after his own citizens in his own nation. That's because he's a head of state with some head problems. I, I might as well interject this, that we know in America we live in a nation where so many of our ancestors and even our grandfathers and great-grandfathers would go into uh, to, to the military and would fight and war on behalf of the United States of America. And after warring for them, come back to a nation that would not even give them rights as a citizen, that would not even include them, that uh, continue with rooted uh, systemic racism, even for the veterans that fought for the nation. And so David is going through this. He's under attack. Matter of fact, this head of state with head problems caused David to lose his job. Now he's jobless. He's unemployed. That unemployment led to him being homeless. I don't know how much reading of the Bible you do, but David, before he became king, he was homeless. Ended up living in a cave. You're talking about inadequate housing. And that's because of a head of state with head trouble that didn't have an appreciation even for the people in his nation that helped build that country. And there he is, homeless and hungry and hurting. But those days have passed. And now he's the king of Israel. And he said the only reason he got there is because the right hand of God made it happen. He's reflecting upon it now. There were times in David's life through all those pains and suffering and issues, he was wondering, where is God? And why won't God deal with my oppressor? And why won't God deal with those who are against me? And he didn't know then why he was going through it, that God was at work. But now that he reflects upon it, now that he recalls it, now that he replays it, he said, the only reason I got here is the hand of God. I, I hope and pray that you get this today. That he went from rags to riches. He went from poverty to prosperity. He, uh, he went from being homeless uh, to having more than adequate housing. He went from the bottom to the top. And he said it's because of the right hand of God. I know in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the social injustice, and the police brutality, and the systemic racism, and the injustice, and the unrighteousness, it's hard to see it, but... The hand of God. You're in the right hand. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, that you end up in God's hand. Matter of fact, David said you're not just in God's hand. You're in the right hand of God. The right hand of God? Uh, yeah, the Hebrew people believe that the right hand of God was the hand of God that with the strength in it, with the power in it, and the authority in it. Uh, that's because the Hebrew people had issues with left-handed people. They thought something was wrong with left-handed people. Of course, nothing is wrong with left-handed people. They just uh, operate off a different, uh, the favor of different hand than those of us who are right-handed. But for the Hebrew people, they thought there was an issue with left-handed people, so they put God's power and his authority and his might, and when they talked about him in his right hand, I'm sure God is ambidextric. I'm sure God has equal power in both hands. Uh, but 
David says, it's the right hand of God that did this for me. The right hand, that hand with power and authority from David's perception. That's why another, David said on another occasion, God says, sit here on my right hand while I make your enemies your footstool, the hand of power and authority. Uh, that in Psalm 139, if I send into heaven, God is there. If I make my bed in hell, God is there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, there is hand uh, will lead me, but his right hand will hold me. And when Stephen was stoned in the, in the book of Acts, he looked up and saw the heavens open and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the book of Hebrews, it says, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for mine, then he ascended up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God. I want you to understand, and I know it's hard to see it, when we're going through it, but you're in the right hand. David is reflecting. David is recalling. David is replaying the moves of God in his life that he couldn't see it when I was going through it. But now that I look back on it, I know it was God at work the whole time. I love to hear the choirs and the praise teams and the children and the youth uh, in, our, in our music ministry at Eastern Star Church. I think they're really good. i I enjoy them very much. I love to hear them singing the gospel message of God. And um, the reason why they're so good is not just because we got a lot of gifted singers in the music ministry. That's a part of it. But they're so good because of the time they spend in rehearsal. They don't just get up on Sunday when the cameras are on and the crowd is there. But no, when you can't see them, when there are no cameras, when there are no crowds, when there's no one hollering back at them, there's a lot of rehearsing that goes on, that uh, going over uh, the lyrics and going over those words over and over again, going over those uh, transitions over and over again, the pace over and over again, when to come in over and over again, the rehearsals is what makes them so good. Rehearsal, yeah, read to do it again here. They have to rehear it over and over again, and as they rehear it over and over again, they're able to get good at it because that's why they're on key. That's why they're in tune. That's why they're so good. That's why the words are right because they rehear it. They rehearse it over and over. And my wife, who has a beautiful voice, very gifted, Lady Sharon is a part of that music ministry, and she doesn't just rehearse when she's with everybody else. Uh, she rehearses it in the car. When we're riding around, she, she's recorded it, and so she rehears it again and rehearses it again. And goes over and over it again. And then in the house, she does the same thing. In our home, she's doing the same thing. She's rehearing it and rehearsing it and replaying it and restating it. No wonder she's so good at it. No wonder she's always on key and in tune. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. That sometimes when we listen uh, to some of these white preachers and pastors who now that the cameras are on and the crowds are gathering, that they are trying to get the lyrics, the words right to what black people in America have dealt with and are doing, uh, but oftentimes they don't sound right. They're off key. They have tune. The reason for that is they haven't been to the rehearsals. They, they, they haven't heard uh, about Harriet Tutman. They, they have not uh, heard about... Mary McLeod Bethune. They haven't heard about Madam C.J. Walker. They have not heard about Thurgood Marshall. They, they have not heard about Frederick. They haven't, they didn't have any black history. 
They, they haven't heard the lyrics. They didn't come to the rehearsals. They didn't rehear it in the church and at school and in the car and in the home. And the reason why uh, my children have able to be able to pick up on, on this because we didn't just uh, rehearse it in, in some of the schools that they went to, didn't play it at all. So we had to rehear it at home and replay it at home. And it's not just white preachers and, and white pastors either. But some of us have missed rehearsal. That's why when I hear um, black, young black people attacking the black church, my heart goes out to you. I just know you miss rehearsal, that, that you're attacking a black church because you didn't get to hear this in your educational system. You, nobody talked about, nobody replayed this and recorded this, and you didn't rehearse this at home. You didn't hear this rehearsed in your car, riding with your family. And now your attack on the black church is because you miss rehearsal. You, you missed the fact that Harriet Tubman, she was a preacher. The black church did that. Nat Turner was a preacher. The black church, if you had come to rehearsal, you, you would have heard that. Uh, that Frederick Douglass was a preacher. The, that's the black church. Martin King was a preacher. Vernon Johns was a preacher. The civil rights movement started out of the church. These historical black colleges and universities, that's the black church that started most of those. I, I know you miss rehearsal. So I'm trying to replay it and rehearse it. The hand of God that has been moving. Don't miss this. So that you, that's why you're off key right now. That's why you out of tune right now. That's why you're missing the message. The cameras have come on and the crowds have gathered, but you miss rehearsal. I want to replay it for you. That's why I wanted to make sure my children, when early on in their education, they were a part of a school that, uh, that rehearsed and replayed black history all the time. Then they ended up in a school system that had no black history. But that, okay, well, they got it at home. They got it in the car where we rehearsed it over and over again. And then I sent them to, to Payne College in, a, in Augusta, a black college. I sent them to Tennessee State in Nashville, a black college. I sent them to Howard University in D.C. because I didn't want them to miss out on their rehearsals so that when they speak and when they sing and when they talk, they're on key and in tune and know what's going on. David is rehearsing what God has done in the redemptive history of his people. That's what I'm trying to get across to us. And as he rehearsed it, he says that God has sustained me. That's what he says, Psalm 18 and 35. He says, the right hand of God sustained me. It's the right hand of God uh, that, that kept me. Psalm 121, I look into the hills from with come of my help. My help comes from the Lord. When David was talking about even the sickness that he had gone through and the oppression and running from that head estate with head problems, that unemployment, the, uh, the, the, the health issues that he had in his life, the homelessness, the hurting that he went through, he said, but I made it through all of that because it was the right hand of God that sustained me. And I, I celebrate every social justice group I celebrate every church and pastor and minister that's preaching and teaching the truth about not just salvation for yourself, but justice for everybody, which the word Jesus said that the Lord has anointed me to set captives free, not just to get salvation to individuals, but to set the oppressed free. I celebrate you. 
I celebrate every attorney, every businessman and businesswoman, every young person, everybody who's out marching and protesting, regardless of the color of your skin. I celebrate all of that. But I just want you to understand, the one who sustains us in all of this, the one who keeps us, I celebrate every uh, politician and government official that's looking out for the best of equality for everybody in the nation. But when it comes to sustaining us through this, it's the right hand of God, not an institution, not a group, not an organization, not a health official. It is the hand of God. And I'm telling you, that hand can handle this. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and they hear me. They listen to me. And my father who has given them to me, uh, placed them in my hand. And in my Father's hand, no wonder we're able to make it that even through all of this depressing stuff, you don't have to be depressed. You can make it. Don't you become suicidal because the right hand of God is, can sustain you. And he didn't just say sustain. In, in verse 32, he says, that hand of God strengthens me. Strengthen, well, let me do it like this. The Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word there is uh, sawad. That this hand of God sawad me, and sawad uh, carries a threefold connotation. It is about strength. Because when you got to deal with racism every day, when you got to deal with sexism every day, you got to deal with injustice every day, when you got to deal with, with all of this coming against us every day, we might as well be honest, it can take a lot out of you, it can weaken you. But when you get it right with God through his son, Jesus Christ, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it is that hand of God that strengthens me through all of this. But Sawad is not just to strengthen. It means to, to hold together. David says, as I reflect upon this, I didn't see it when I went through it. But now that I look back on it, it was the hand of God that held me together. Dealing with a head of state, with head trouble, dealing with homelessness, dealing with the injustice that I faced, to having the military of my own nation as a veteran to attack me. He said, but I should have fallen apart, but it was the hand of God that sawed me, that, that held me together. And if you're ever wondering, how do we make it through? How do we survive and thrive this? How did our ancestors make it through uh, that blatant racism that they had to face? The, all that they went through, how did they get through all of that? It was the hand of God that held them together while folk are trying to hold you down and tear you apart. The hand of God. It's so odd to strengthen. It, it held together. Uh, but then so it also uh, means to comfort me. David said, through all that crisis, through all that calamity, uh, he brought, uh, God navigated it in such a way he brought comfort to me. That's what it means, comfort. And comfort comes from two words, come and fort. It come to show up, fort to fortify. It is to show up and fortify, that God showed up and strengthened me. When, when I was going through all I was going through, it was taking so much out of me, but I was able to survive and thrive and go from the bottom to the top because he showed up and comforted me. Jesus spoke of that comfort in the New Testament. He was talking to his disciples, and Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm going to have to go away. His disciples said, we don't want you to go away. We need you to stay through all the hell we're facing, this oppression from the Roman government, this suppression and depression from the Roman government. We need you here. Jesus said, if I don't go away, then the comforter will not come. He was speaking of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit showing up in us, Jesus says, to comfort us. 
one of the New Testament words for the Holy Spirit is paraclete, para, to come alongside, uh, the paraclete, to come alongside and strengthen us, to comfort us. That's, uh, that's what he's talking about. I don't go away, the paraclete will not come. And I know you don't speak Greek. Uh, you wonder what is a paraclete. You don't know what paraclete is, but you know what a paramedic is. A paramedic is, is when you find yourself hurt and injured, and it seems like you can't get to the doctor. Uh, then you call 911. You, it's an emergency. I'm, I'm hurting and injured. Can't get to the doctor. And they, what they do is since you can't get to the doctor, the paramedic is like the doctor getting to you. Para, to come alongside, to bind you up, to hold you together, to strengthen you and give you what you need. Y'all, Jesus, when you get it right with Jesus, his Holy Spirit he is that paraclete that operates as a paramedic and he shows up in our lives to bind us and strengthen us and hold us together and give us the comfort that we need. Here's what David says, that it's the right hand of God that's doing this. And then he says, it, God is my shield. Verse 35, Psalm 18, uh, right hand of God didn't just strengthen me and sustain me. He's my shield. Had a lot coming at him. He'd get spears thrown at him by head of state with head trouble. Military coming at him from a head of state with head trouble that misused his military power and sent it out, all because he's concerned about his own position, not the people of his nation, but his own position in the nation. David said, I made it through that because God is my shield. Hallelujah. Now, I got to say a word about this shield piece because David was a warrior. David was a veteran. David was a military man. David went into one battle after another. And as a king, as the head of state of Israel, he lived in a day that heads of state, when it was time to go fight a battle, they didn't go to a bunker and hide out and then send soldiers into battle. They didn't do that. Uh, but this is a time where heads of state would lead their soldiers in the battle. That, that'll make you rethink what battles you want to start. That'll make you rethink what wars you're trying to start when you're on the front line leading it. It's a whole different decision-making piece when you're in a bunker hiding uh, when all the unrest is going on. And David would lead in battle, had one victory after another. And he said the reason why he made it in those instances, he said, because the right hand of God is my shield. And this illustration he's using, shields in David's day were large. They were big. They were huge. And they were oblong, large oblong shields that you could literally get your whole body behind the shield. Well, so when somebody is, is shooting a bow and arrow at you or a dart at you, when somebody is taking shots at you, the shield doesn't stop people from taking shots. But it's able to allow you to get behind it to keep the shots from affecting you. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us. God is our shield. As our shield, it doesn't mean people don't take shots at us. It means that when we position ourselves behind God, that God protects us. You're going to be all right. You're going to survive. You're going to thrive because God is our shield. It, and God is so big, you can put your whole life behind him. You can put your family behind him. You can put your money behind him, your career. Behind, you can take everything you have and put it behind God because even in the battle that we're facing right now, God is still our shield. You're in the right hand. He's our shield. 
And I know your question, if God is our shield, then why is so much hitting me? Why is so much coming at me? That's because uh, shields are most effective when you position yourself properly with the shield. You can't set your shield to the side and distance yourself from the shield and then get the same effect from it. You've got to position yourself properly behind the shield since God is our shield. It doesn't mean that people won't take shots at us. But the way shields work, you've got to come behind them. No weapon that is formed against you shall be able to prosper when you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, when you submit to God's word, when you're operating in the power of his Holy Spirit. You're positioning yourself properly. And now, anything that even comes at you, if it does get to you, God is working that together for your good. And I love our shield, God, the, the right hand of God. I love the fact that he's our shield because our shield is invisible and invincible. He's invisible. That's why uh, those who oppress and those who attack and all of that social uh, injustice that we face and all of those with intentionality to hurt us and to bring us down are wondering how in the world can they make it through all of this systemic racism? They don't understand. Uh, we got a shield. You just can't see him. That God is a hidden reality. And that's how we're able to survive and thrive and make it because our shield is invisible. And our shield is invincible. Nothing can handle the hand of God. Our shield is invincible. Our God is undefeated. Jesus, when he died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. No matter what power comes against us, we're going to be okay because our shield is invincible. God has all power. The right hand of God. I'm just trying to let you know today that you're in the right hand. And it also says in verse 35, Psalm 18 and 35, David said, that is that hand that made me great went from rags to riches, poverty to prosperity, went from the bottom to the top, went from a staff musician to the head of state of a nation. He said, the only reason I got to be great, David says, because the hand of the Lord made me great. That's the rehearsal we need to keep having. Some of us are so arrogant and conceited and so built up in pride because you miss rehearsal. <laughs> we need to rehearse and help people to know it's God that has made us great. Whatever I am, whatever level of success I have, God did it. It's the hand of God that did that. And I love this because he says, and, and the hand of God, he made me great, which means you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. So many people refuse to make a commitment to Christ and his church and his causes and the kingdom of God because you think you got to have it all together when you come to him. You don't have to have it all together when you come to God. You come just as you are, but you don't remain as you are because he makes you great. And if he's going to make you, you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. Jesus, when he handpicked 12 disciples, he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men and women, which means you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. Just start following. I'm going to make you that. In Jeremiah chapter 1, uh, Jeremiah says that God told him, he said, listen, uh, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. My friend, Pastor Marlon Harris, pastors in Georgia and Lithonia outside of Atlanta, he said, he said, when God says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you, 
Pastor Harris says that God says, I knew you, but I still formed you. Before I formed you, I knew you. But even though I knew you, I still formed you. That's King James Version. Before I made you in the belly, I knew you. But even though I knew you, I still made you. That's what God is saying to you and I. Before I, I made you, I knew you. I knew you would mess up. I knew you would make mistakes. I knew you would sin. I knew you would do wrong. I knew you would be unrighteous. I knew you would act a fool. But even though I knew you, I still made you. Because you don't already have to be what he's going to make you. 32 years ago in Indianapolis, Eastern Star Church made me their pastor. They made me the pastor of the Eastern Star Church. But the only reason they made me their pastor, because they didn't know me. They knew all the places I'd been and knew all the things I'd done and knew how I treated everybody. They never would have made me their pastor because I've done some things I wish I hadn't done. I've operated in ways I wish I had never operated like that. And I'm glad they didn't know me because if they knew me, they never would have made me their pastor. But God says to me, Jeffrey Johnson, I knew you and I still made you. It's a trick of the enemy to somehow make you think you're disqualified. Because you don't come to God already uh, perfect, already mature. No, he said, he made me great. No, here's what David says. And it, it, one translation says, and he stooped down to make me great. He said that God not only made me great, but he had to stoop down to do it. Because David went through a whole lot of stuff that brought him down and, and, and made him low. He was low economically. He was unemployed. Uh, he, was, he was low in terms of his social status. Uh, my man was a refugee on the run. Uh, he, was, he was low in terms of community. He lived in a cave in inadequate housing. He was low in terms of what his nation thought about him, a head of state with head trouble, constantly attacking him. And in that low position, David said that the Lord stooped down and made me great. That's all I'm trying to let somebody know. I don't care how depressing life gets. You don't have to be depressed because no matter how low life brings you, we serve a God that is able to stoop and still make you everything he wants you to be. In the New Testament, there was a woman that got caught in, a, in the act of adultery. And when she got caught in the act of adultery, her accusers brought her before her judges. And those were some unrighteous judges who were misusing the justice system to try to hurt this woman in an attempt to get to trap Jesus. They sitting up talking about the law of Moses, but you preaching grace, and this woman, the law says you're supposed to stone her, and, and what are you going to say? They're trying to trap Jesus, but they're misusing the law on this woman bringing injustice in her regard. And I know it's injustice. I know it's not right because she got caught in the act of adultery. Well, if she got caught in the act of adultery, where was the man that they caught her with? Because in that male-dominated society, those men got a different kind of justice than women who did not count, than women who were looked at as less than human, looked at as property. And as a consequence, now she's dealing with a situation that the men didn't have to deal with because it was injustice in a justice system. 
And we know you don't care about the law because you would be doing the same thing to the man that you call. Yo, a lot of sins you can do by yourself, but adultery ain't one of them. So where is the other person in this? And so Jesus says to them, y'all so concerned about justice, then all of you who have not committed this sin of this woman, then you cast the first stone. Then they all walked away because they wanted justice to operate one way with her, but a different way for them. And they all walked away. And the Bible says that Jesus stooped down in that dirt and Jesus began to write in the dirt. And while he's writing, everybody's walking away and he's offering freedom to a woman that experienced oppression Y'all, when you read the Bible clearly, when you rehearse what the scriptures say, that salvation for Jesus is not just me, myself personally, but it is the oppressed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to set the oppressed free. That's what he did for her. And he did it because he stooped down in that dirt because he has a history of stooping down and making great, even when God made humanity. In the book of Genesis, it says that God, uh, that he got some dust and he shaped it and formed it and, and then he made man and then breathed into man the breath of life and man became a living soul. Well, if God made man like that and he did and he used dust, he had to stoop mighty. You got to get pretty low to get to dust. And no matter how low life has brought us, the God we serve is able to make us great. David said he made me great because he, verse 34, he trains my hands for battle and my arms can bend a bow of bronze. He starts talking about how strong he's, God made me great, how strong I've become, how I'm able to deal with a bow, the precision I have and the strength I've had and the accuracy I have. Well, how did he, how did he learn to be so accurate with a bow? How did he, it wasn't at West Point. How did he become so precise and so strong that he could bend any bow of bronze? It wasn't at West Point. It was in battle, one battle after another. To be able to do that is a skill. And with a skill, the more you do something, the better you get at it. And with one battle after another, that's how God made him strong. That's how God made him great. Some of us are trying to get strong with no struggle. No, it's your struggle that brings you to strength. We're trying to get great without going through anything. No, it's those battles that help you to get the greatness that God is seeking to make in your life. It's the crisis and the calamity that builds that character. God made him great. And in the making of this great, David said that God said, I'm going, in verse 33, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. Feet of a deer? Yeah, when he makes me great, God's going to help me with my footing. <laughs> He's going to make sure that I'm not stumbling, that, uh, that, that I got my foot. He gives me the feet of a deer. The feet of a deer? Yeah, that's because this is an illustration David is using. A deer have a very unique feet. They don't have paws and claws. They have hooves. And those hooves help them to be able to deal with, he said, height with hills, with mountains, and those edges in the mountains, and the cliffs in the mountains, and the stones and the rocks, uh, that, that, he, that deer is able to keep his footing. And God says to you and me, out of all the stuff that you're going through, and folk trying to make you stay low in your depression, 
and to keep you down. God says, no, because you got your faith in God through his son, Jesus Christ, I'm going to make your feet like the feet of a deer. I'm going to help you to be able to get to heights that others can't get to. That's how deer deal with their opposition. The way deer deal with their opposition is they take them to high places because if they're attacked by a lion, a tiger, or a bear, oh my, they're dealing with paws and claws, but, but they got hooves. They can go to heights and deal with edges and stones that uh, the other opposition lose their footing in, showing you and I that when low-down people mess with us, we don't have to be low-down. We can take it to another level. Michelle Obama said when they go low, that's when we go high. We have the capability of doing that because God is giving us the footing to go from faith to faith and glory to glory and get to the heights that he has designed for us to be. Now, I will say this. The foot of a deer is not just about the heights that they go to, but the foot of a deer is also about the power they have in those feet because deer don't like to fight, but they can. I know sometimes deer look so sweet and so nice and so subtle. Look like uh, they so kind. Don't just walk up on a deer because if a deer gets backed into a corner, they don't want to fight, but they will. And one kick of a deer, one kick from a deer's foot will kill a grown man because when deers are cornered because of the feet God has given to them, they don't jump off a bridge. They don't turn to drugs and alcohol. They don't turn their back on God and slip their wrists. They come out kicking. And y'all, we've been backed into a corner. 400 years plus of oppression and suppression and depression and systemic racism of all the things, this social injustice. More than, we've been backed into a corner. This ain't the time to quit, give up, sit on sideline. God gave us the feet of a deer. We come out kicking. And knowing that God it's going to take care of us. God, we're in the right hand. Every, God is going to sustain you. God is going to strengthen you. God is going to be your shield. God is going to make you great. God, despite all you've gone through, God is going to use that to get you to where you need to be. Yo, I've had some good days, but I've had some hills to climb. I've had some weary days and some lonely nights. But when I look around and I think things over, all my good days outweigh my bad days. And I won't complain because God's been good to me more than this world could ever be. So I'll just say, thank you, Lord. And I won't complain because I know that I'm in the right hand.